thank you, Father, for this day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Father, for wisdom tonight that we can learn and grow. Thank you for knowledge and understanding so that we can apply it in our daily life. And thank you for this gathering and helping us for peace, love, and joy. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this gathering today. I pray that you bless us all, help us with the week ahead. Thank you for your glory, your presence in our life. We glorify you. We praise you, Lord. strengthening us this year has been a battle lord but jesus you are victorious and i thank you lord i thank you for leading us to victory lord i thank you for going before us and fighting our battles lord in jesus name i pray amen goodness Lord and your grace I thank you Lord for your forgiveness Lord and I thank you Lord that your mercy is new every morning and Lord Jesus I just thank you Lord for all that you are for us Lord I thank you that you are a provider I thank you Lord that you are a protector and I thank you that you are a healer and Lord Jesus Lord if anyone in this room or beyond this room Lord needs healing uh, we just lift them up to you Lord and we just thank you that no matter what doctors declare, Lord, you have the final say. So, Lord, right now, yes, anyone that needs healing, Lord, we just ask for your divine intervention. And we just thank you, Lord, that you are our way maker and miracle worker. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
thank you, Jesus, for everything. Thank you, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for everything, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Oh, oh Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done for us. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for guiding us. Jesus, let my prayer me. be seated. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Sadly, it's the last session for this year. didn't sound too convincing. <laughs> it's been a good year, amen? It has been a good year. Thank you, Jesus. You know why it's a good year? Because you're still here. <laughs> you're still here. In the midst of a challenging word, in the midst of a shift, everyone's still here. Thank God for that. Uh, the, the level of truth is high, and the standard of God and living is high also, and it's just going to keep on increasing. Amen. Next year, <coughs> it's going to be very different. Um, <coughs> last week when I was praying in the Holy Spirit, you know God doesn't take shortcuts, right? We all know this by now, yeah? God doesn't take shortcuts. He showed me that next year is going to be a year of consistency where people are, gonna, are going to be uh, functioning and consistent with God. And I have some exciting news. I don't know if it's exciting to you. But next year we're going to have programs where we pray in the Spirit together. And we're going to have programs where we fast together as a body. Amen. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit showed me that next year is going to be a year of consistency. It's going to be preparation for the kingdom. Preparation. God's preparing us. I say that humbly to every person here. Because when the power of God falls, it's going to fall. But he is, uh, he is steering everything. He is steering everything. It's going to be a year of consistency. So if you're here, if you're here because you feel motivated or you feel like you can get by, it's going to be different next year. We're going to be praying together. We're going to be working as a body and as a church. 
We're going to be fasting together. And it's not for the faint-hearted, let me tell you this. The Bible says the one who puts his foot to the plow and turns back, is not worthy of me. So next year, humbly speaking, we're going to work as a family. The Holy Spirit told me, I'll share something with you. Four weeks ago, I do things a bit different now. So every month I do like a five five-day fast. Every four weeks I do a five-day fast. I used to fast every two days or whatever. But this time he told me to invite some people to do the fast together. And I, I never hear that. And I sent a message to a few people, the ones that he put on my heart, to fast with me. And they came back to me a week later and they said to me, this fast was different. We normally fast, but this fast, a lot of things came to the surface and God spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit told me that I am to invite everyone, not to force, but to invite everyone onto this journey. Because whatever I've learned and done in my life has been what I've heard. It's not what I've just came up with and I've done. I've heard and now we're going to pass it on to you. Praying in the Spirit and fasting are the two partners that paves the way for you to walk with God. And th next year, it's going to be a year of consistency. God showed me that we are lacking consistency. And we are going to pave the way for you. We're going to have programs and timetables where it's, where it's effective for everyone where we're going to pray at night before we sleep or early in the morning. And I ask you humbly to accept. It will be challenging, especially the fasting, but it's what God asks us to do. And you're going to feel stability from next year. There's going to be stability in your life with the Lord. Because with consistency, God establishes stability. And it's, we're all going on this journey together. Amen? Amen. So for whoever was, whoever's been feeling left out or they don't feel involved, I'm sorry that I've made you feel like this, but nothing is on purpose. But next year, you're going to be invited to come on this journey, please don't complain. I just shared this with you. Don't complain. Because whatever I'm going to speak with you is what I'm going to hear. So next year is not going to be a year of power. It's going to be a year of consistency. Then when the power comes, it, it will fall on a place that's ready. Amen. Amen. So prepare your hearts. Amen. Amen. It's a, a very deep teaching today. <clears throat> also, before I start, just a bit of feedback. We haven't put any videos up about um, Zambia and a few other places for a reason. 
because the shell of the building at Zambia is finished. But because of COVID and inflation, the money went down when we sent the money. It, went, it actually decreased down. We have a graph of it, of the money when we sent there. He bought all the stuff and the money, the value went down, so the stuff became more expensive. This is the feedback that I got and he sent us the paperwork and he showed us. So the whole shell of the church is complete. Now he needs tiles, um, air conditioning, electricity, um, the glass windows and all the, the, the knickknacks to finish the church. And he quoted us approximately around 8,500 to 10,000 to finish the whole building complete with the tiles, with the windows. It's massive. And no one is obligated to put, we're going to send the money anyways. But if you feel led to put to this, his name, his name is Gideon. And the Lord told me to help this man. So if anyone wants to put to this, we'll be sending the money next Friday. Not this Friday. It'll be put into the ministry account. Whoever wants to put towards this, he priced us approximately 8500 to 10000 to complete the whole building. It's on there. Yeah, so that's the account for it. Everything that we have received from the people, we have used every cent of it to the ones who need it. We haven't touched the money, and I like to speak about it. We haven't touched the money. I have a job, I'm a plumber. We haven't touched the money. We've paid the bills here in this place. And we've used all the money for God's glory and purpose. So I want you to trust. I know out there, there are people who are trustworthy, the people who are not trustworthy. In this place, you have trustworthy people by God's grace. God-fearing people. So whatever you give, you're giving it to the Lord. And this is not to force you to give or not to give. But I'm sharing my heart with you. Anyone who begins any type of comment that we are using the money for ourselves or we're cheating anyone, I will call you out. And, and I mean it. I'm not afraid. I didn't lay down my life for Christ to not control what happens in this place. I can control what happens in this place. Outside, I can't control. But we are people who love the Lord. Everything we do, we back it up. We have all the references in the account of all the money that's been sent. My heart is to help God's people and to help the needy and the poor. And together we can do this. Never been a person to talk about money. But together we are can can do this. So I share with you, keep your hearts right. We are here to glorify Jesus. And we're here to work together. And you can trust. I know outside I can't control what happens outside. But I share with you. Inside I can. For Bishop Xavier, we collected six and a half thousand last week by the grace of God. I want to send him out with ten thousand dollars. He's leaving on the nineteenth. We have six and a half thousand to his name. I want to give him 10,000. That's what I felt led to give him. For him to take it back to 
the places that I need over there. So whoever wants to give to that, more than welcome. God will bless you. Okay? You're not obligated. You give from your heart to the Lord. Okay? So Gideon and Bishop Xavier are the only two now that I want to collect money for and finish this year for them. And next year, whatever the Lord tells us, we will do. Amen? Okay. I didn't mean to be rude to anyone, but I know there's a lot of talk at the churches and a lot of talk around money. I don't care about money. I do this because I love Jesus and I want nothing in return. And that's the truth. I want to help his people and I want to do what he's called me to do. So this is the last week. Uh, that we'll be sharing next sun, uh, this Sunday coming we have the children's performance and we'll be having a meal all together whoever wants to contribute to that and help um, see my wife and some other people who are in charge next Wednesday we're going to have just a worship night next Wednesday will be the last night that we finish off we're just going to have an open worship and we're going to also do baptisms Whoever wants to get baptized, uh, more than welcome to get baptized. So send the word out to your friends, whoever wants to get baptized, this place will be open for it. We're going to have next Wednesday open worship and baptism, and we'll pray for people uh, if you want. Amen? Thank you. I'd just like to thank every person here who has been coming every week this whole year. The word's been challenging. The words being like a double-edged sword. Sometimes it comforts, sometimes it cuts to the marrow. But you are in the right place. If you did hear from God to be here, you are in the right place. We're, on, we're only going to go forward. We're not going back. So just understand this. Jesus has called us to go forward. We are not going back. So nothing in you is going to go back. We're only going to move forward. So prepare your hearts. I'd like to thank you for continuously coming week after week, cut after cut, blow after blow, <laughs> scale after scale. <laughs> but it's the only way. It's the only way. I've preached every week, being led by the Spirit, and it will, not, it will get more and more intense because that's who we are in Christ. I don't want to be like any other church. I want to be like Christ. That's it. I don't care about anything else. I just want to be like Christ and do what he says. So, the greatest challenge that I've had is allowing people to see what's actually happening in their heart. This year, I'll share. I've done a lot of reflecting last week and this week. The greatest struggle that I've had with believers is getting them to see what's really inside of them. Do we agree? This hallelujah and this uh, praise the Lord, it lasts for so long. The greatest struggle that I've had in ministry is getting people to see what they really need to deal with. And this, this teaching and all the teaching has been a depth teaching in the heart. 
Because once you see what's really happening with you, that pattern will begin to change. Right? Those daily struggles and those daily grinds and those vicious cycles, they will begin to lift off you. Because those are an effect of what's actually happening inside of you. When you begin to see like this, you will see, well, I have not exposed it yet. So my role, finishing off with a good message that gives you enough food for six weeks maybe, is showing you what you're really dealing with inside. So someone thinks about unbelief. There are six roots of unbelief. And it's just interesting. The Bible talks about the six things that the Lord hates. There are six principles of unbelief. And I'm going to share them with you today. Each one holds a deep, each one holds a deep structure of what's really inside of you. Ninety-nine percent of the victory happens when you're actually see, seeing what's happening inside of you. Do we agree? I really believe that the ho before the Holy Spirit begins to work in anyone, he diagnoses the, the root issue inside. Are you ready to see this? So did everyone enjoy the root of bitterness? Because I see everyone smiling now. So God's already dealt with you in this area? <laughs> how, how much did we learn from the root of bitterness? And sin versus sins, plural. We learn so much, right? Unbelief is deeper than all of them. And I was asking the Holy Spirit, how am I going to structure this? And how am I going to present it? I'm going to show you. Unbelief is different. It's got a partner. <coughs> Unbelief is coupled with something. All of them are coupled with something. Normally, normally uh, for example, envy or whether it be pride, they always work alone. But envy is partnered with something. And it's actually good. I really believe God allowed that to happen so we can actually see it. It's got a partner, a partner in crime, I should say. And I really believe God done that so we can actually see it. But you know the greatest dangers about that? It's unbelief. That's the greatest danger about it. It's unbelief. And we know that faith comes from hearing, hearing the word about Christ. The, the opposition of faith is unbelief. And what does the Bible say? Without faith, it's, it's what? It's impossible to please him. So when I, when I looked at this, I said, well, I can understand now what God is really trying to get into. So I'll quickly go <coughs> to the root. Uh, Matthew 13, 20. My teaching um, has, has something to do with this, but it's deeper. We go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. This is the parable of the seed. Now, it, doesn't, it talks about a stony place, but I'm going to go into depth with this. 
I'm talking about a root here. And I believe this is what he's speaking about here, is unbelief. But it says here, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Uh, yeah. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So I'm going to take my teaching from here. Because the next root I'm talking about is the root of unbelief. Now when you see it in the scriptures, six major principles. When you see it in the scripture, you say, well, you'll start to see which area you are functioning in. My role and my task today through the Holy Spirit is to show you unbelief inside. Because when you see it inside, then you'll be at war with it. The dangerous picture of unbelief, are you ready for this? Unbelief hides in every level of a person's journey. Not only in the beginning. It hides in every level of a person's journey. So I thank the Holy Spirit. Remember, I wouldn't have went into this teaching if I didn't have that dream of me, of me eating from a tree when I was fasting. I was eating from a fruit, and the Holy Spirit showed me that I'm still eating from Satan's tree. And he said that you're, you're, you're trying to deal with the fruit where I want to deal with the root. So I shared this dream with you to show you that God actually was correcting me because I'm trying to deal with a fruit of an evil nature of sin where God was trying to deal with the root inside of me. I wouldn't have went to this teaching if he didn't lead me there. So I thank the Lord that he's actually giving us clarity. Can I tell you something? A healthy journey is when you have clarity. Right? When you have clarity of what's happening inside of you, you won't give up anymore. Right? When you have clarity about your journey, you won't give up anymore. You won't be wearied anymore. You won't be frustrated anymore. Isn't that true? A healthy journey is having clarity of what's actually happening inside of you. There you receive it with joy because you know what you're going through is already written and you'll be able to move forward. I really believe Satan takes out so many people because they have no clarity what they're going through. So true. Let's go to First Timothy. First Timothy one verse thirteen. In the Amplified. The first kind of unbelief is produced through ignorance. Ignorance, and I'm going to explain it. I'm going to explain the first two. They're big enough. I'll explain the first two, and then maybe next year I go there with you. Now, the first kind of unbelief <coughs> is produced before Christ, before you give your life to Christ. 
But there's an ignorance also that hides when you come to Christ. They hide before you come to Christ, and it hides after you come to Christ. But you know the dangers about after you come to Christ? It's called the willful ignorance. You're doing it willful now. So let's read it here. Who's talking here? Paul's talking. It says, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer of our Lord, and a persecutor of his church, and a shameful and outrageous and violent aggressor towards believers, yet I was shown mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. Now, can I give you some wisdom here? Look at the pattern of this teaching. When it comes to ignorance and unbelief, how does the Lord deal with it? Anyone here? How does the Lord deal with ignorance through unbelief? Look. He deals with it like this. Mercy. A lot of people get it wrong. They think by renewing their mind in the Word of God, that's one procedure. The next procedure, how the Lord works, can only be dealt with through His mercy. So let me tell you something. Imagine you don't see that. What are you going to ask mercy for? That's the problem that I have. The Holy Spirit's role is to identify, then you can take that to the throne where the blood is to get washed. And can I tell you something from experience? I, the greatest work of the Holy Spirit is to show you, then to take you to where it can get fixed. The Holy Spirit doesn't deal with it. The Holy Spirit shows you it, and then you take it to the throne to get it washed. The Holy Spirit doesn't heal you from it. He shows it to you. And then he takes you to where? Did the Holy Spirit give you mercy, or did Jesus give you mercy? Jesus' blood gives you mercy. You need to understand this, because you have a throne of grace to receive mercy, to, to receive mercy grace, and help in time of need. That's the throne where the blood is. So the Holy Spirit's role, I want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit's role is to show you it, then you grab it, and then you confess it where the throne is. Do we understand? So look at this pattern here. Look at this pattern here. It says that he's dealing here with ignorance. He's dealing with ignorance in unbelief. This has to be only dealt with through the blood of Christ. So people here are struggling with ignorance. I'm going to show you what it actually means. People dealing with ignorance here. The role of the Holy Spirit is to help you where? Where does the Holy Spirit help you to? He helps you to the throne. Because that's where Jesus dealt with past and future sins. We understand this? Okay. <clears throat> so this is the first one. Ignorance and unbelief are coupled together. The second one. The second one is a bit different. Let's go to 
Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 19. Can I tell you something? You'll be so blessed today. You know why? Because you're going to see what you're actually dealing with. Clarity, I can't tell you how powerful clarity is. To understand and to move all those things and to see the root of your problem. Do we understand? Satan, Satan attaches himself to the root. He won't let go until you deal with the root. Next one is this one. Here, unbelief is coupled with what? An evil heart. So what does unbelief produce? Unfortunately, an evil heart. And who is he talking to here? Who is he talking to in this passage? To believers. And what does the evil heart do? It departs from God. So can a believer depart from God? Unfortunately, yes. Does God want us to depart from Him? So when you hear this here, beware. You know that every one of us is going to be faced with an evil heart. Is there a way out? Certainly, if you pay attention. So I'm going to speak about the first two, ignorance and an evil heart. And I pray you all come back next year. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. So let's read it here. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of what? What does unbelief produce? First, ignorance. The second one, the greatest one is the second one, the evil heart. Because this one is the only one that departs from God. The rest of them, can, God can help you with them. This one departs from God. Did you hear this? This one here departs from God. There's no coming back, this one. The rest of them can be dealt with through the Lord. So beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Next. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now what produces hardness of heart? What produces sin? What produces sin and, and hardness of heart? What produces it? Unbelief. Unbelief produces the evil heart, which leads to hardness of heart and sin. So let's say someone is constantly sinning and they have received now a hard heart. What's the real issue you're dealing with here? Unbelief. You're in the influence and you're in the sphere of influence of unbelief. Unbelief creates an appetite to sin. Creates an appetite to function in an evil heart. Are we understanding this? There has to be order in Scripture. There has to be order. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. 
while he said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, let me ask you this. What are you hearing his voice towards? What are you hearing his voice in regards to what? So the Holy Spirit now is speaking. What is he trying to speak and to get into? Anyone? Please don't be asleep today. It's the last session. The Holy Spirit is trying to get into that evil heart. He's trying to bring correction. He's trying to bring it to the surface. You know us, our people, we're so good at hiding it. I don't mean to put anyone down. We're so good at hiding it. People may see us like we're not true. But every person has to get washed in this area. Well, it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For, he, for who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Now, God doesn't give rest for a person who he doesn't let deal with an evil heart. If the Holy Spirit starts to work with the evil heart, there's a promise of rest. The, the reason why you're really not resting is because you're not letting him into that area. And that's the truth. Now I'm going to break that down. What is an evil heart from the Bible? Uh, one more verse. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now unbelief and an evil heart, they're partners in the second one. Let's look at the third one. This is a good one. This is, they all speak to us. But this is a good one because this one here, this type of unbelief, blocks deliverance, blocks healing. You see that pattern? And you, can I say something to you? You begin to see why you're not seeing results. God wants us to see results. God wants us to see the manifestation of who He really is in our lives. Can I ask you something? I always had a niggling question in my heart. Why aren't I seeing the power of God? Why aren't I seeing those results when I pray? Why aren't I seeing the God who manifested in the old, in the old and the new not manifest now? That was my conviction that led me to this. That was my conviction. That before I share, I have to see him manifest in my own life. And guess what? He started on me. You know what shocks me? And I'll be open with you. No one wants to speak about this. No one wants to speak about these areas of our life, but it's everything. Because this is the pathway to see him manifest in our lives. He, he is your God as well. But he's meant to manifest. Now, the third one, Jesus speaking. So let's go to it now. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, 
verse 14 to 29. <clears throat> now, the third kind of unbelief has a partner, and the partner is called faithless. <coughs> the word faithless means those who struggle to trust God. So there's a trust issue now. Another word there means those who were persuaded not to trust God. So here now we're dealing with faithless, faithless people. Now let's have a look here. Are, are, are we seeing this someone? Because now, now the first one he spoke about ignorance, not knowing. Second one talks about an evil heart, couldn't enter into his rest. Here he's talking about healing and deliverance. How many people need healing and deliverance in their life, mentally, physically, emotionally? They're all connected. Here leaves us a great analogy of why we're not seeing it. And can I tell you something? The man who spoke to Jesus here, I want to hug him when I get to heaven. You know why I want to hug him? Because he spoke the truth to Jesus. That's why. He diagnosed what the real issue is, why the Lord's not working for his son. You know that? You know that? You know what it shows that when the presence for, for us today, this passage shows us that when Jesus' presence comes, you're going to say the truth. So look at it here. He says, and when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them. Can I say something to you here? Where did Jesus come from when he, when he just spoke this? He came from where? What was he doing on the mountain? Playing snooker? <laughs> what was he doing on the mountain? He was fasting and praying to God his Father. There's always an analogy of what Jesus was actually doing. What was Jesus doing on the mountain? He was praying, he was fasting, being with God. Isn't that interesting? Can I share something with you? Isn't that interesting? He spent hours with his father on that mountain. He spent moments with man. Touch. Hours on that mountain. One touch. Keep going. Isn't that an analogy of how we become true Christians? Invest, they invested so much time in the presence on that mountain. Our mountain now is wherever you make it, in your room, in the backyard, in the park, wherever you make it. But isn't that an analogy? He said, oh, faithless generation, how long do I need to be with you? He just came from that mountain with his father. From three in the morning, the time that Jesus spent, from three in the morning all the way to the sun comes up. And he goes, haven't you understood how to function like me now? Because he goes, I only do what I see my father do. But he spent all that time in the mountain, moments with man. Moments with man. Isn't it interesting how the Christian world today is? We spend hours trying to counsel someone. Hours trying to give people advice. Oh, I think it's this. Or maybe it's that. But when you spend hours in the presence... Touch, it's gone out of the way. The Christian world today, they sit there, they get a, they get a graph, 
Where did this come from? <laughs> There's the wisdom. I'm not saying not to do this. But it shows you where the power is. He said, oh, faithless generation. It means they couldn't trust God. They were not persuaded to trust God. He's showing them on that mountain, God will persuade you who he really is. Isn't that interesting? A lot of people want healing. A lot of people want deliverance in their life. In every possible way, he's showing you where it's found. So let's read it. And it's just interesting. Jesus just came back from the mountain and he finishes off with what he really done on that mountain. Because let me tell you something here. Can I tell you something here? They, went to, they came to Jesus alone, hidden. Why couldn't we do it? And he goes, this only comes out through prayer and fasting. But Jesus did it. So what was he really doing on that mountain? Yeah. But Jesus got it out. He goes, this, however, this only comes out through prayer and fasting, this particular demon. But Jesus got it out. What was he really doing? He was praying and he was fasting. Next year, you will all pray and fast. Crying, crawling, you're all going to pray and fast. And I'm not joking. And whoever tries to run from me, I'm going to chase you. And I'm actually not joking. Because as long as I chased you and I tried, God's not going to correct me when I get to heaven. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. Now, can I, can I stop you there? Go back there. Look at this here. They saw him. What did they really see in him? They saw the light of the Father shining through him on that mountain. That's what they really saw. They saw the glow of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people miss this. But they saw the glory of God on him. He is God, but it was manifest on him. Next, please. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I bought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams in the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So unbelief was coupled with faithless here because it says it in the bottom keep going then they bought him and when he saw him immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming in the mouth so he asked his father how long has this been happening to him and he said from childhood next the Lord's not coming now. Okay. <laughs> Everyone went quiet. 
and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now look at this here. The same area that God deals with unbelief through ignorance is the same area that God deals with faithless and unbelief. How? Compassion. There are some areas that the Word of God deals with particular things. Here, you have to come to God. Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Bring your compassion on me in this area and strengthen me in this area. You begin to see now, the same pattern how God deals with unbelief does not change. But that's the punchline. The punchline is after. Next one, please. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He told him the truth. Isn't that interesting? He told him the truth and it was for his son. What was blocking healing for his son was the unbelief of his father. Now, isn't it interesting? I'm going to hug this man when we get to heaven because he spoke the truth that prompted Jesus to move. Isn't it interesting that Jesus wants to move in everyone's life? But it's interesting here that the man said what first? He said, have compassion on me. He has to, he ha his mercy has to forgive you from this. And then it says, help me. What does the throne room of grace do? What does it do? We come to the throne of grace to receive what? Mercy? Help. Isn't that interesting? The three areas. The three, can we go back? Okay, I'll go back. The three areas of what the throne of grace does was what it done here in front of Jesus. Can anyone see this? The three areas of what the throne carries of grace now, because Jesus is seated at the reign of God, is the same what it did here. But if you can do anything, have what? Compassion and help us. You see? Uh, could we go back to where we were? Immediately the father or child cried out and said, with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So you begin to see here, you'd, this is something gradual. God has to help you with unbelief. He doesn't heal your unbelief. He helps your unbelief. Do you see this area? God has to strengthen you in this area. Does that mean you give up? There are some things the Lord delivers you from. There are some things the Lord helps you with. What does that show you? What does that show you? It shows you that this is something that God has to work with you. Who is working with the Lord in this area? Who is working with the Lord in this area? Yeah, who actually really focuses on these areas? Because this is the pathway for seeing results from the Lord. Can anyone see this? How big is unbelief? I just showed you three points now. How big is unbelief? It deals with an evil heart. It deals with ignorance. And it deals here with faithless. 
and people wondering, Lord, can you hear me? Yeah, he can hear you. He can hear you loud and clear, but he has to work in you. That's the issue with a lot of people today. They don't want God to work with them. They want to see quick results. Because when you, need help, when you need help with something, you know you actually have a problem. Yes? I'm opening your hearts in this area to show you why you're not seeing results with the Lord. Can anyone hear? God wants us to be uh, well nourished in the word. The Bible says that we are rightly to handle the word of truth. For what? For how we preach to people or how we preach to our own hearts? So here, uh, oh, we'll keep going. keep going. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he, he became as one dead so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can only come out uh, by nothing but through prayer and fasting. Now is it a mistake here that he's talking about faithless, and he's talking about unbelief, he, he, just came out of a, he just came from the mountain and he's showing them what he was actually doing on the mountain. He was getting strength from his father. He was getting help from his father even though he didn't need it. But Jesus was showing us a role model, a picture of what we need to do. Do you do this? Because we talk too much. We talk too much. Because if we really did it, we'll see his manifestation. How many people invest their time in the presence for God to explore their heart? How many? How many? I'm telling you, when I spent time with the Lord in this area, God done an open heart surgery on my heart. I got to see every trace of what's really inside of me. And it's the truth. So this is regarding what? This is regarding being used by the Lord. Also, it's used, it's used in reference to healing and deliverance. Number four. It's another big one, this one. The fourth kind of unbelief is produced through hardness of heart. So I don't think anyone here is going to miss Bible studies because we have six things to work with the Lord for this six-week break. <laughs> I can't tell you how big this teaching is. I can't tell you. I can't tell you how big this teaching is. And the platform it will open for the Lord inside of our hearts. 
I chose that picture as well yesterday. It's a great analogy of what unbelief looks like inside your heart. And thank God for Daniel. Where's Daniel here? Yeah? Thank God for Daniel. Behind the scenes calling me Wednesday night, uh, Tuesday night. <laughs> I'll leave it for next week. So the fourth kind of unbelief produces hardness of heart. Now, can we go to that here? Let's go to Mark 16, verse 14 to 20. Now, can I share this with you? This is this is this hardness of heart is one of the greatest dangers. You know why? Because this scripture is speaking about God commissioning his people and he rebuked them because of the hardness of heart. And it's just an analogy that God can't commission anyone with a hard heart. Are we listening someone? Because this scripture was the very scripture before Jesus went to heaven. And he wanted to commission them to preach the gospel around the whole world. And he rebuked them because of the hardness of heart. Why do you think Jesus put that there? Because it shows you what hardness of heart can do through unbelief to you. It will not allow you to be commissioned by the Lord. So let's read this here. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and... Hardness of heart. What does unbelief produce? Hardness of heart. And what does it do? You didn't hear from God. You didn't see Jesus. Are you sure you, you know? You? That's what it actually says. When I share some of my things of what I heard from the Lord, the hardness of heart would allow you to think, to be skeptical. When the Holy Spirit told me to tell the people now to program them to pray in the Spirit and to fast, you think, did you really hear from God? But unbelief speaking. Hardness of heart speaking. When the Holy Spirit speaks and He gives information, receive it. Don't let it build. <clears throat> And isn't it interesting that <clears throat> hardness of unbelief and hardness of heart will always look for a way to not do something, but it's coming from unbelief. Later here, Peter the eleven, as they sat at the table, he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now what blocked that commission? What blocked that commission? Hardness of heart through unbelief. Why? 
because they didn't believe what God said through that person. Now, you know, the Lord showed me four years ago of certain people here that are called to go out into the world. Now, if I was to tell them now, they'll choke. They probably won't come back. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit has to heal them from that. The Holy Spirit, little by little, needs to strengthen them in this area. Because why? You were called to preach the gospel to all the world. But if I tell you that now, you'll probably get scared, or your wife will probably take you and not bring you back. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit has to establish you, little by little, give you a little, show you your purpose, show you your vision, and then God will bring it at the opportune time. But did you ever think that God called you to go around the whole world and preach the gospel? That's what we're called to do. Maybe he may not send you overseas, but he'll call you to do all those works. And I'll just share with you, God showed me all of them. And I thought to myself, that's the vision God's given me. Now we just have to train them, mature them, strengthen them, and prepare them for this work. So God's preparing us next year, year of consistency. So prepare your timetable next year. Prepare. Prepare your timetable. And all I ask is don't complain, that's all. That's all I ask. Give it your best and don't complain. Now the fourth stage of unbelief Hardness of heart is connected to it, and in that area, in the right context, they're blocked to be commissioned by the Lord. Let's say God spoke to me and told me, uh, Enoch. Let's say God come to me and spoke to Enoch, next year you go to Germany. He probably won't come back. Because he hasn't prepared for it. God has to prepare every person like this. He has a family, he has children. And this is how it is. God prepares. It's not that he doesn't love the Lord. He loves the Lord. But God's got to prepare us all. Do we understand? So what does a hard heart produce? Being skeptical. That's, you can see God's showing us now what the hardness of heart produces. Being skeptical. You are called to serve the Lord Jesus. The Bible says those works he planned before the foundation of the universe. Now you're probably so comfortable with your own life, you don't think outside that box. But God sees you like that. Whether you like it or not, God sees you as his ambassador. So you have to train yourself to what? What produces a hard heart? I'll tell you, it's one, it's one, it's one that does produce a hard heart. You know what it's called? Starts with an S. Starts with an S. Starts with an S. What produces a hard heart? 
selfishness. Selfish. My life, it's for me. My time is for me. Don't tell me what to do with my life. So let's say the Holy Spirit speaks to me now and tells me for someone you would go overseas. You're not ready for that. You're not ready for this. God has to establish us slowly, slowly. And this is why we're here. God's establishing us slowly and slowly. He doesn't rush anyone into anything. And we are not meant to rush ourselves into anything. The fifth kind of unbelief. It's a very big one. They're all big, but this is a big one. The fifth kind of unbelief is produced through arrogance and thinking highly of yourself. Wow. So the fifth kind of unbelief that partners with another criminal, being haughty or arrogant or thinking highly of yourself. Who did that? Who did that? Who did that in the New Testament? Who did that? Who, who thought highly of themselves? Satan. Satan was haughty. That's why Jesus said to them, your father is who? Devil. Let's go to the scripture. Romans chapter 11, verse 16 to 21. Now, this is interesting. This type of unbelief is dealt through another. Would you like to know how God deals with haughtiness or arrogance or thinking highly of yourself? He shows us how he deals with it. So the first two are dealt with what? Compassion and mercy. Do we, we get this right? Now look at this one here. Now he's talking about here, he's talking about Israel and the Gentiles, how we've been grafted into the olive tree being Christ. And he's showing us, us Gentiles, how we have to be, not to think that we're better than them. Now look at this here. If the first portion of dough offered as the first fruit is holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root, Abraham, the patriarchs, is holy, so are the branches, the Israelites. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you Gentiles being us, being like a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them to share with them the rich roots of the olive tree, do not boast over the broken branches and exalt yourself at their expense. If you do boast and feel superior, remember that it is, not, it is not you who supports the roots, but the root that supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. This is true. They were broken off because of their what? But you stand by your faith as believers, understanding the truth of Christ's deity. Do not be conceited. 
that word there is haughty or arrogant or feeling superior. So what is unbelief partnered with here? Arrogance, being superior, thinking highly of yourself. But rather stand in great awe of God and fear Him. How does God deal with this type of unbelief of arrogance and superiority? The fear of God. You start to see every root of unbelief is dealt in a different way. Can we understand someone? Do we have clarity here? What the fear of God can do, mercy cannot do. You need to understand what you need in your journey, in your heart. Do we understand? What the fear of God can do, compassion doesn't do. What compassion does, mercy cannot do. One thing doesn't fix everything. Can we understand someone? We need to have order in our lives to understand what we're actually dealing with. Am I a haughty person? Am I an arrogant person? Do I think highly of myself? Do I have an evil heart? Listen, if you understood this, you will search the scriptures for your own self. Do we understand this? We are busy trying to preach to other people, yet there's such a great work in our hearts that needs to be done. So, haughty and unbelief are coupled together. That's number five. Now, the sixth one is very interesting. The sixth one is a different analogy. I like to go to it. The sixth one of unbelief is produced through the biggest one. It starts with D. Doubt. Doubt. And how does God deal with doubt or the root of unbelief that produces doubt? How does God deal with doubt? Now, mercy, I believe, help me from my unbelief, that's from the throne. Here, God deals with doubt in a different way. Would you like to see? Romans chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. Does everyone have enough food for the six-week break? Yeah? <laughs> now look how God deals with doubt here. Look, you have a... I thank the Lord he structured this teaching so good, so we get a six-week break. In Romans four eighteen to 20, In hope against hope, Abraham believed that he would become a father of many nations as he had been promised by God. So numberless, show your, so your descendants shall be. Next one. Without becoming weak in faith, now he's showing you here what doubt produces, weakness. Without becoming weak in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead for producing children. Since he was about a hundred years old, and he considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. But he did not doubt or waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God. Concerning what? So how does God deal with doubt through unbelief? 
He deals in which, in where does he get it from? The word of God. How does God deal, deal with doubt? When you renew your mind in the word. Look what it says here. But he grew strong and empowered by faith. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17, the word about Christ. So how do you deal with doubt? The word about Christ. He grew what? He grew strong and empowered by faith, giving glory to God. Now this is, an, this is a, a mystery here. He, 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 he had a heart of gratitude with the word of God. Can you see this, someone? How does God deal with doubt? Listen, if there, was a, if there was a name for doubt, I'm telling you, I would be in that dictionary because I doubted every single day of my life. Suicide, depression, fear, failure, defeat, I ticked them all. And I give glory to Jesus what he done. But I'm just showing you what he can do for anyone who is willing. And that's the truth. I'm telling you, I was in such a mess. My mind was so unstable and so fearful in every way possible. But I did not let go of his word. And I didn't let go of a heart of gratitude towards him. And here I am today, by God's grace, showing you his grace. Showing you what he can do for anyone who is willing in the dumps of darkness. And it's true. That's why I thank the Lord Jesus for everything he done for me because you don't know what I went through. And I'm here to teach you now how I actually got out of it and how he taught me. But look at this here. Doubt comes when the enemy steals the promise from your heart. And that's not enough. The word of God is not enough. You must give glory to God with the heart of gratitude. Isn't that interesting? While you're waiting for God, what happened in the wilderness? What did they do? They done the opposite and complained. Isn't it interesting? When Abraham was waiting, the Bible says here, he did not doubt or waver in unbelief. So what is the doorway to doubt? What is the doorway to wavering? It's where? In complaint. Complaining stops you from giving glory to God and allows you to doubt and waver. Can anyone see this? What is your testimony when you're waiting? Is it God's truth spoken from your mouth? What is your testimony when you're waiting? Because it's in the waiting where you die, your faith, your seed dies, your corpse dies in the wilderness, or it's in the, it's in the promised land where you receive your promise from God. What is your testimony when you're waiting? I don't know what's happening to me. Uh, God, why is this happening to me? I didn't know it's going to be like this. You begin to think. Why am I suffering? Everyone in this world is good, but I'm suffering. That's what a complaint sounds like. But I believe you. But I read your Bible. Why am I going through this? 
I learned just to stabilize myself. In the beginning, I had nothing good to say. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that your word says that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you the work you started, you'll finish it. Help me, Lord. Strengthen me. Thank you, Jesus. Why are you going through this? Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. What are you doing wrong? So believers come and tell me. What are you doing wrong to get so attacked from the devil? And they come and they put their seeds of doubt in me. What am I actually doing wrong? And I sat in that room and I worshipped the Lord every day. Eight hours in the word of God. Everything I wanted the Lord to do in my heart, everything that I was lacking from in my heart, all the struggles that I was going through in my heart, I spoke them to God. I was so busy in the midst of pain, emptiness and struggles. I was so busy speaking and confessing the word that enters the marrow. What's your testimony when you're waiting? What I spoke is what I became. I didn't try to believe anymore. I walk in it now. Because what I spoke is what I've become. I can't tell you how deep the Word of God is when you actually start to put it in practice. So you see, each seed of unbelief is dealt in a different way. Can we see this, everyone? Now, how many boxes do you tick? You don't have to tell me. Just speak to yourself. How many boxes do you tick? I'm scared to go to Evil Heart. I'm actually scared to preach about it today. I will share. I'm not going to share about ignorance. I'll speak about an evil heart. It's the last session. It's all right. It's okay. Do you want me to speak about an evil heart? I found it very amazed that uh, the evil heart, unbelief, which produces the evil heart, is the only one that departs from God. God couldn't help that. Very interesting, isn't it? And he says, but to exalt everyone daily. So just to quickly finish that, the six seeds of unbelief are ignorance, evil heart, faithless, hardness of heart, haughty or arrogance, or thinking highly of yourself, and the last one, doubt. Now, the word evil comes from the Strong's 4190. The word is panoroyos. Panoroyos. And this one here, it's different. Ignorance is more 
Peter says not to, not to indulge in your former lust that you did through ignorance. So ignorance is connected to lust. In evil heart, it's different. It's connected to your character. Can we understand now? So ignorance, just to give you a little nutshell, I'll show you the scripture actually. First Peter, First Peter chapter one verse fourteen. If we can just quickly show that for ignorance, I'd like to just give you the different, the difference between this. Now, ignorance is mostly connected to lust. What does the Bible say? The lust of the world, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, comes from the world. Now, lust is produced around that area, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. So look what it says here. It says, live as obedient children of God. Do not be conformed to the evil desires which governed you in your ignorance before you knew the requirements and transforming power of the good news regarding your salvation. So ignorance here talks about your nature before Christ. Now can I share this with you? Your nature before Christ doesn't quickly get disconnected. You become a new man once you give your life to Christ then you still have your old nature that you have to renew with Christ. So there's a difference between new man and new nature. New man means instantly you're born from above. You're seated with him. And then you have the old nature versus the new nature. That's progressive. That's not instant. Because that old nature is connected to an evil heart. Do we understand that? So when people get born again, they say, yeah, I'm new created. There's nothing in me that needs to be worked on. You're deceived. You're deceived. Because that's the new man. The difference between the new man and the new nature are two different things. We understand that, right? Now we're going to talk about an evil heart. Now I don't know, I don't know how long I'm going to go, but I'm just going to share it. <clears throat> so it represents your character. Are we ready? Number one, haughty. Showing an attitude of, of, of being better than others, a lack of respect to others, also defines as arrogance, meaning exaggerating of one's own importance and abilities in life. The opposition of being haughty is humility. <clears throat> Envy. A feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities or blessings in their life. Lack of responsibility. They will do whatever they please without taking any responsibility for the pain and hurt it causes others. As long as it makes them feel good, that is all they care about. The evil heart will deflect any blame placed on them. They will never apologize and may even feel like they are owned an apology instead. They think apologizing is a sign of weakness and would rather have someone else apologize for their own mistakes. Enjoying others' misfortunes. Instead of being able to empathize or sympathize with the struggles of others, they will find it amusing. They are unable to remember the pain they also felt when they had bad things happen in their life. They rejoice in suffering of others 
and feel better than them. They may feel blessed that it didn't happen to them. They may see that, that they brought it upon themselves. This evil heart is dangerous because it brings further pain to those already hurt. Controlling and manipulative. An evil heart wants to maintain control of everyone in their lives and will use manipulative tactics to do so. They will never admit fault because it would ruin their illusion that they, can, that they are in control. Often, they will be kind to you to get something they need from you, like money and time. In turn, they can be so obsessive about controlling every bit of your life and come off mean because of it. Cruelty. Cruelty comes from nine different Hebrew words it defines as fierce and harsh and to make burdensome and injury upon someone, especially your spouse. It also means difficult to work with, bitter and ruthless and grieved. Remorseless. When a person feels no conviction from sinning against God, it's as if a tiny callus starts forming in his heart over time. A heart can be so hardened that they have no remorse for their actions at all. The less we feel the need to repent and tell God of our sins, the more evil will become. An evil heart promotes chaos, division and confusion. An evil heart is deceitful. Traits of being deceitful are two-faced, untrustworthy, dishonest, sneaky, shifty, insincere and deceiving. Now, this is the big one. Those were all the small ones. This is the big one. This one, I didn't want to rush, but it's my last session. Okay? So tell your boss, this is important. An evil heart is a narcissistic, a narcissist person. Okay, take it easy. Everyone's <laughs> trying to correct me now. Okay, a narcissist, they have, this is the traits of a narcissist person, they have to be the best, the most right, and the most competent. They do everything their way, they own everything and control everyone. They constantly need attention. Narcissist person needs to be perfect. They believe they should be perfect. You should be perfect. Events should happen exactly as expected and life should play out precisely as they envision it to. A narcissist person wants and demands control and their sense of entitlement makes it seem logical to them that they should be in control of everything. A narcissist never want to be responsible unless everything goes their way. They often place all the blame and responsibility on someone else to maintain their own face of perfection. Wow. A narcissist perceive everything as a threat. They frequently missed into any they, they, they frequently misread into things in a negative way. 
Narcissists make most of their decisions based on how they feel about something. They always look to someone or something outside of themselves to solve their feelings and needs. Narcissus' personality is split into good and bad parts. Any negative thoughts or behavior are blamed on you or others, whereas they take credit for everything that is positive or good. Narcissists are constantly afraid of being ridiculed, rejected or wrong and often struggle to trust other people. Narcissists typically deal with anxiety and typically project their anxiety onto their close ones, accusing them of being negative or unsupportive. Well. Well. Narcissists don't feel much guilt because they think they are always right. And they harbor a lot of shame and often bury their insecurities, fears and rejected traits that they are constantly on guard to hide from everyone, including their own selves. Narcissists can truly love, Narcissists can't truly love or connect emotionally with other people because of their inability to understand feelings, they lack empathy and their constant need for self-protection. Narcissists don't have the capacity or the motivation to communicate or work part as a team. Everyone's quiet now. <laughs> I, I've never spoke about a narcissist person. I wanted to bring it to the light to share with you. It's one major component of an evil heart. And it hides in every subtle area that God wants to heal us and restore us from. And I showed you traits of an evil heart. When you see it, then you can ask the Lord to heal you from it. Amen? I didn't really want to close off with this alone. I know it's like a bomb. But... God doesn't want to have anything to do with that inside of our hearts. Amen. So we'll pray now. Turn off the lights. Rita. Rita. Give me water. There was a fly in it. I want to share with you here. When you see unbelief, you'll never see the same after today. Is that right? You'll never see shallow again after you see the depth of how God wants to enter. Is that right? It is true. God doesn't want you to function like this. He wants to free you from every... Uh, trap of unbelief and what gave me wisdom it hides at every level and the Holy Spirit wants to heal us from this amen but can I share something with you it's not a quick fix 
demands all your attention. God needs all your attention. God needs all your time. Because the work that he started, he has to finish it. But the work is great. Isn't it? You start to see from the teaching of unbelief why Satan is occupying your life. Yes, can you see now? Yeah. Away from me, Satan. No, away from me, unbelief. Because Satan uses unbelief. You start to see why Satan is occupying your life. Through ignorance, through unbelief, through faithless. You start to see. Through hardness of heart, you start to see. God wants us to be in tune. God wants us to be in tune. To understand that unbelief is deeply seated in our hearts and it demands all our attention. I share this with you. God wants us to be free. Don't treat this place as a place you can come and go. God wants us to be free. This is a place where God speaks. He gives us directions of what we need to work on our hearts and externally. But you start to see the level of unbelief, it's so, it's big. And for someone to be shallow in the Lord, he can never disconnect from it. And it's true. That's the reason why unbelief lingers in everyone's life. Because they don't press the way that God wants us to press. The first phase of ignorance that Paul talks about means for us today is to lack knowledge. So when you understand something, Paul sinned and he hurt God's people and he blasphemed because of ignorance because he didn't know what he was doing. So when you, when you stay away from the scriptures, a form of ignorance is being built in you. Because when you know something, then you can fight against it. So I tell you humbly here, every person here, look deeply in your heart through the Holy Spirit so He can begin to help you. What the Word can do, the promise of God, mercy cannot do. What the fear of God can do, compassion cannot do. You have to understand what you need to apply for you to move to the next step. This means order. This means clarity of what you're actually dealing with would actually leave you for you to succeed into the next step of your journey. Amen? God wants us to succeed. He doesn't want us to be confused. And so many people are struggling because of ignorance. Because they don't know what they're going through. But I'm here to tell you, you can see it now. Unbelief is much bigger than you think. And it's a root that produces six traits of the enemy. So we're here for each other. And I pray you are strong.
you continue in the word, you continue in the teaching, and don't isolate yourself. For other people feel like giving up, for the, all the people here feeling like they're going to fall or they want to give up, I want to pray for you. The Holy Spirit spoke to me before I got up to preach. That there are people here wanting to give up. There are people feeling like they're going to fall. Uh, this place is not a place for you to feel ashamed. Someone's going to see me weak. Listen, everyone goes through battles. Everyone's struggling a different way. We're here to help people, right? For the people here feeling like they're struggling and they're going to fall and they want to give up, I want to pray for you. The Holy Spirit will lift it off you today. Amen. Do your part every day with the Lord. Please. Wednesday or Sunday is not enough. Every day has to be for the Lord. Okay? Lift your hands up. We worship you, Lord. And we give you all the glory, Lord. Thank you for a blessed year, Lord. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that has led us day by day into Jesus Christ. Lord, I'd like to bless your name. I personally thank you, Lord, for how you carried each one of us and you gave us your mercy, your compassion, and your truth so we can persevere. Lord, I bless your name and I thank you. There's no one like you, Lord. You are so good. And you've been so kind to us and so merciful. I thank you, Lord, for your heart. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord. There's no words that describe how good you are. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you don't leave anyone behind. You help each one of them in every way. I pray for the people, Lord, that you give them courage to fight and you give them your grace so that they never feel run down. But I pray for every person here, the seed that's in them, whether it be small or whether it be big, protect it, Lord, so the enemy doesn't steal it from them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for loving us like a father. Thank you, Lord. I pray for you fill this place up with your presence, Lord. We rely on you, Lord. We rely on your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for joy. Joy to be their strength and hope to never put them to shame because your love's been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. A heart of gratitude towards you, Lord. Because you are the one that holds all of us together. Thank you, Jesus. I'd like to bless your name. I'd like to honor you today. Because it's all you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for protecting us, our families, our children. Thank you for providing for us everything. Thank you for giving us the wisdom to know you more and to follow you. Thank you, Lord. There's no one like you, Lord. You are so good. Thank you. 
for delivering your people. Thank you for being patient with your people. I pray for more grace, Lord, in this place so we can know you more, so we can surrender our lives more. Thank you, Jesus. I bless your name, Lord, and I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I welcome you here, Lord. You are everything in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for everything, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Holy Spirit, I pray you go to each one. And be with them and teach them. Strengthen them so they can hear your voice and they fellowship with you. I pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, that you give them the Holy Spirit so they can hear you and so they can walk with you, so they can be encouraged, so they can know that you'll never leave them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here and that you bless this prayer. All the people that want to give up, Lord, remove that seed of defeat from their heart. Remove that seed from their heart that it's too hard and strengthen them today. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I bless you, Jesus. You are omnipresent. You are here. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the level of truth that you have given us. May we all receive your mercy to be with you in the way that you delivered each one of us. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your godly fear that produced in us the righteousness of God. Amen.